All right, Central, how are we doing today? Hey, it's great to have you here. I, I, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at Central. A big welcome to those of you, maybe who are joining us for the very first time. Excited you're with us here this weekend. I also want to welcome those of you joining us at one of our Central locations. Big shout out to Central Kingman and to Summerlin, to Sunrise Mountain, and to Southern Highlands. Great to have our Central family with us this weekend. I also want to welcome our online audience. Uh, those watching around the country, around the world, welcome. It's great to have you as well. And as always, big shout out to our friends who join us through our partnership with God Behind Bars. It is great to have you, love you, excited that you are here with us this weekend. Well, this is week two of a series that we kicked off last week that is called Breakthrough. And, and truly, fundamentally, we, we, all, we all desire to experience a breakthrough in life. And if you're here last week, you know that this entire series is based on the New Testament book called James. It was a book of the Bible written by Jesus' younger brother, James. Now, if you've ever read the book of James, here's what you know about James. James doesn't mess around. Like, James gets in your business. He, he throws a couple of truth haymakers in our general direction. Uh, if you read uh, uh, James with any level of, uh, like, detail, you'll be likely offended by James. He says some pretty straightforward, somewhat highly offensive things at times. Yet at the same time, he speaks with such wisdom and such truth that what we've discovered is... If we're willing to kind of set ourselves, our feelings aside, if we choose to not get defensive by his coming at us, and if we're willing to lean into his wisdom, there's so many keys that he holds that could ultimately lead to a breakthrough. So real, real quickly, turn to somebody near you and say, hey, don't get defensive this week. James has got a good message for you. All right, we feeling good? All right, well, well, today we're going to, again, continue this series called Breakthrough, and specifically this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a breakthrough with clarity, that we may be able to see things with a greater level of clarity. Now, from a physical sense, I've never been able to see well at all. My eyesight's been terrible since I was a little guy. Uh, from my understanding, I've got my first set of glasses when I was two years old. I don't know how you figure out that a two-year-old can't see. I think part of it was my eyes were crossing, I was running into things, and so they, they figured something was up, right? And so I've been in and out of eye doctors my entire life, you know, going to the eye doctor every single year. For those of you who've also had the experience, you know the journey, you know the rhythm, it hasn't changed in 40 years. And so basically what happens is you go to the eye doctor, they set you in that chair, the first thing they do is they make you take off your glasses or take off your contacts, fuse contacts, and they put that chart in front of you. And they always tell you this, read the lowest line that you possibly can. Doc, you just took my glasses away. I can't see Jackus Krakus. Like, absolutely, I mean, I can see nothing, right? I mean, truth be told, I can't read the big E on the top of the chart if I don't have my glasses on. But my pride won't let me tell the doctor that. And so I want to at least feel like I can see something. And just so you know, for those of you who've been in this whole eye doctor world for a long time, in 40 years of my life, they've never changed the E being the top thing on the chart. So it doesn't matter that you can't say it, uh, you can't really see it. When the doctor asked me, I said, well, doc, I can't see much, but I can see the big E. I don't tell him it looks like a blob, but I know it's an E, right? And so he goes, okay. And then the very next thing that happens is they put that contraption over your head. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? And then the same rhythm happens every time. He's got these lenses. There's like thousands of them inside this thing. And he does this thing where he says, tell me which is clearer, one or two, A or B. 
Doc, I got nothing. I mean, they're both blurry. I, I, can't, I can't see at all. And so he does the same thing over and over again. There's a rhythm to it. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but, but over the course of time, as he begins to dial it in, gives me the ones, the twos, the A's, the B's, eventually I can actually see. And he puts up this line, this, this minuscule little line that I wouldn't have been able to see that that line even existed a few minutes before. And all of a sudden, I can chime off every letter like no problem at all. All of a sudden, there was an outside force that was able to give me clarity that I was never been able to get the clarity on my own. And I think in many ways, what we're going to lean into today is James doing the very same thing for us. And James is this outside source. He's this outside voice. He's going to help us see with clarity in a way that we might not be able to see before when it comes to a very key, crucial area that he discusses. This simple little topic that's everybody's favorite topic to talk about. Temptation. Aren't you glad you came to church this weekend? James tackles a very difficult subject that the Bible describes that's called temptation. And what he attempts to do is to bring clarity around temptation. Because if we don't see temptation with clarity, if we're fuzzy about it, if, 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 we, if, we, if we're not able to see it clearly, temptation can have a field day with us. But on the other hand, if James can dial in a little bit of clarity for us, it can truly lead to a breakthrough in our journey. And today we're going to be in the book of James chapter 1. If you brought a Bible with you, you can go to book of James chapter 1, or as always, we put the words on the screen as well. And if you'd like to follow along with the screen, I need your help. Uh, I'm going to get to a couple different words. You'll see them highlighted in red color. When we get to those highlighted words, if you can shout those words out for me, uh, it helps me make sure that, that you're still awake, and it also keeps me awake. So it's kind of a one-two punch. But, but here we go. James chapter 1, giving us a breakthrough in clarity when it comes to temptation. Here's what James says, starting at verse 13. He says this, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me, because... God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. But James kind of, again, pulls no punches. He kind of gets up in our business. He says, notice he doesn't say, if tempted. He says, when tempted. And the truth is, temptation is a universal experience that we will all have in life. There is not a single person that you will ever meet in the history of the universe that doesn't face temptation in some way, some form, somehow. We all face temptation. And so James says, let's just get clear about that. Let's just acknowledge the reality that we all face. You're going to face temptation. It's not if, it's a matter of when. Now, the language that he begins to use, really fundamentally, it's a fishing analogy that he uses to explain uh, temptation. Uh, how many people love to fish? A lot of people love to fish. Uh, I, I have to admit, I'm not really much of a fisherman. I had to borrow this fishing pole just for this illustration. The guy had to show me how to use it earlier today. Uh, but, but from my understanding, when it comes to, holy cow, I don't know what I'm doing. When it comes to temptation, James says it's kind of a lot like fishing. Now, what's interesting about fishing is I've started doing a little bit of it lately. My oldest son, he loves to fish, like loves to fish. I don't know whose kid he is. I mean, I, I've hardly ever fished in my life. But as a dad, you know, you learn to try to like the stuff that your kid likes, right? And so I've tried to get into it. I took my kid fishing this week. I brought a picture. This is a fish that my kid caught this week. No kidding. I know. Pretty impressive. I would show you the fish that I caught. I don't have a picture because I didn't catch anything. So I, I was there with my kid, right? Now, anything about fi fishing, here's what my son taught me, that you've got to cast this little line out a little bit. 
Hey, don't worry, I practiced a lot today. I knew I wasn't gonna hit you, right? You were a little nervous and rightly so, my friend. Now, what's interesting about fishing is the same thing happens every time you ever fish. The fish have no idea what you're doing. And these unsuspecting little creatures are, are, are down there, and as they're down there, they don't know two very important things. The first thing is there's this little piece of bait down there that, man, looks so alluring, but what they don't know is there's a hook in that bait. And what they also don't know is that that hook is attached to a line. And the moment they get on the hook, that line's attached to me, and my attempt is to yank them out of the water as quick as I possibly can. Now, you think that fish, after they've seen this happen a number of times, that, that word would get around, right? That you think that they see, they're swimming on, and there's this little piece of bait that comes down. It looks really good, but little Billy the fish, I, I don't know what you really name fish for the sake of this example. We're going to go with Billy the fish. Billy the fish, he looks at the bait, he takes the bait, he zips out of the water. We've never seen Billy again. And this not only just happened one time, there's other fish that have had the same experience. You would think word would get around. The next time this, this bait kind of came my way that maybe, maybe I would hold off. But they don't. Because they don't know they're being fished for. What James says is, our own lives are a lot like that. And the truth is, there's bait in front of us all the time. And we will either come to terms with that and we will acknowledge that, or if we live in denial about it, it will get us every single time. What James says is, whether you're willing to admit it or not, you and I are being fished for. That you and I have an enemy. Behind every temptation, there's a tempter. And so if you and I are gonna experience a breakthrough in this area, the first thing that we have to acknowledge is this, that we have to know your enemy. You gotta learn to, to know your enemy. Uh, so I'm, again, not much of a fisherman. I'm, I'm, I'm much of a, a sports guy. And what I know about any kind of sports, any kind of good coach, particularly football coaches, what do they do is they prepare themselves for their opponent. They watch game film, right? And what they're looking for when they're looking at game film is they're looking, what is the tendency of the other team? Do they always run the ball right? What do they typically do on third down and 10? They're looking for patterns. They're looking for tendencies. They're looking for vulnerabilities. Because if I know the enemy and I know how he works that I can expose those vulnerabilities and I can take advantage of them. You have an enemy. And the enemy is watching game film on your life. He knows who you are. He knows your tendencies. He knows your vulnerabilities, your weak spots, and he looks to take advantage of them as often as he possibly can. Jesus said it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus then says, but I've come so that you would have life and have it to the full. But we have to know our enemy. And we have to know about how he works if we're going to experience a breakthrough when it comes to temptation. So again, let's take it back to, to James. We're in James chapter one. I'm gonna read the, first, uh, the, the same verse we read earlier. I'm just gonna add a verse to it. Here's what he says. He says, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never, never tempts anyone else. But here's what he says about temptation. Temptation comes from where? Our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
And so James kind of acknowledges this reality that for every temptation behind that, there's somebody fishing for us. That behind every temptation, behind every bait, there is a tempter. But don't mistake about it, that tempter's not God. Uh, that temptation is not of God. God cannot be tempted, nor does God tempt anyone else. God is not our enemy in any way, shape, or form. God is not leading us down these paths. That certainly we have an enemy, but, but notice James' language. He says that we're lured away by what? By our own desires. Here's what James is getting at. Whatever it is that we might be tempted by is custom made to you. If we were to go around every single person that is listening to this message, every single one of us is tempted in a very unique, unique way. Temptation is not one size fits all. It is not something that we all experience universally at once. So for example, I am not tempted by chocolate. How many, how many love chocolate? I can't stand chocolate. I know that's weird. People say that's un-American of you, and that's probably true, right? I, I don't like chocolate. I, I think it tastes terrible. I can't figure out why everybody else loves chocolate. So I'm not tempted by chocolate. But when it comes to Pillsbury cinnamon rolls, <laughs> Lord have mercy on my soul, right? You know the ones I'm talking about, like the ones that are in the can, right? That you peel the little wrapper off and it pops and scares my mom. She won't even open the can, that, that, that type of thing. And there's these eight little cinnamon rolls in there. The moment you put those things in the oven, I lose all self-control. I don't have the ability to control what happens next in my life. If there's nobody else to, to eat those cinnamon rolls, I have been known to down all eight cinnamon rolls in one sitting. Thank you very much. I feel absolutely awful when it's all said and done, but I have no control over, right? I'm not tempted by chocolate. Some people are. But boy, Pillsbury cinnamon rolls, those things are the, those things are the death of me, right? And so here's the thing, temptation is not a one-size-fits-all scenario. Again, it takes us back to this, this, this fishing analogy we talked about earlier, that, that there's, a, there's a movie. Has anybody seen the movie, uh, 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 The River Runs Through It? Anybody seen this movie? Great movie. Uh, for, for ladies who haven't seen it, Brad Pitt's in it. If you don't like fishing, watch it for the eye candy. So anyway, in this movie, it's a fly fishing movie, and they, there's this term that they talk about that they say, match the hatch. What that is, is there is different types of bait. There's different ways to lure the fish, right? And depending on what you're trying to catch, depends on what type of bait that you use. So for example, I'm told that this bait is called a hula popper. Who names these things? I have no idea. But it's used to design to, uh, to lure a certain type of fish. It, goes on the top of the water, it kind of makes a pop you know, type sound and, and it lures a certain type of, it doesn't lure every fish, but a certain type of fish it'll get. There's other types of baits. There are these spinners, there are these uh, uh, little jigs, there's, there's different types of things you can use to catch different, different bait, uh, different, different types of fish. So here becomes the question, what type of bait does the enemy used most often with you? I confessed a little cinnamon roll issue I have. It's not the only temptation that the enemy throws in my path. The truth is there's sometimes I'm tempted by certain forms of judgmentalism. I'm tempted by some forms of pride. Uh, 
sometimes I can feel for whatever reason that I'm better than someone else. It's pretty obnoxious, I admit. Sometimes I'm even, you know, tempted by some forms of gossip, sometimes even some forms of resentment. It's the bait that I'm probably most vulnerable to. What is it for you? These aren't universal, but what are the things that you're most vulnerable to, that the bait that you would most often fall prey to? Is it the opportunity to make a couple of extra bucks by being a little bit less than honest in that business deal? Is it the opportunity to raise a few eyebrows with a juicy piece of gossip? Is it the opportunity to hold on to some resentment or hold on to some sort of opportunity to get revenge against someone who's wounded us? All those things are alluring, but they're not of God. And so just so that we understand just how serious James takes this idea, he gives us verse 15, buckle your seatbelt for this one. Here's what he says in the very next verse. He says, after evil desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full, uh, full grown, it gives birth to? Have a nice day. Thank you, James. And so all of a sudden he switches his metaphor. It's no longer a fishing metaphor, it's now a reproduction metaphor. Maybe I got somebody's attention with that, right? Uh, basically saying that this temptation, it gives birth to sin, and did you know that sin also has babies? And sin's babies don't look like the Gerber baby. It says that sin's babies are death. Now, when he says death, he's not meaning like physical life taken away. He's not talking about physical death. It's not about life and physical death. It's a lot of times about life and deadness. Again, our enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take from you every good thing that God wants to bring in your life and create deadness in our journey so far from the life that God desires to give us. Again, I've known so many people over the years who cut a few corners on those business deals, and eventually when it was found out, it killed their entire career. I've known others who've fallen prey to the bait of gossip that ended up destroying very key and important relationships. I know others that have been vulnerable to debt and consumer debt, and it got so weighty that it that it killed every good thing in their journey. And so James says, he kind of sounds the alarm and says, we've got to get clear when it comes to temptation. That, that you and I, we're, we're being fished for. That there's one who wants to take every good thing that God wants to bring in our life. And we've got to know that. We've got to understand that. We've got to get clear about that. We've got to know our enemy. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, God doesn't leave us in a hopeless situation. Uh, the beautiful thing about God is that God will meet us in the struggle, he'll meet us in the mess, and God provides a way out. And so not only do we need to know the enemy, the, the second piece is this, is that we gotta learn to seek God's wisdom. Uh, we, we simply learn to, to seek God's wisdom. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but my guess is we've all been in a moment at some point in our life that we've fallen prey to temptation, we've taken the bait, hook, line, and sinker, we're kind of being dragged out, it's been a miserable thing, we've experienced the deadness to it, and sometimes in those moments, we feel disillusioned, we're asking the question, where is God? Like, where is God when I, when I need him most? Uh, how, how many of you have ever uh, seen the books, Where's Waldo? Remember those Where's Waldo books? 
Uh, did you know that, that the original person who uh, drew those Where's Waldo books was initially just trying to draw crowds of people? It was actually an afterthought where he had this idea to put the same character in every single one of these uh, uh, images in this figure of Waldo. He's got some crazy looking glasses, a little striped hat, striped shirt, same, same look at every single photo. And now some 40 million copies sold later in over 28 countries is kind of a phenomenon. So I brought a Where's Waldo picture with me. I'm gonna give you a few moments, see if you can find him. You got him? Couple of people got him, got him right away. You know, sometimes with these things, he's easy to see. Sometimes he's hiding right in front of you, but I think we're gonna highlight him for you so you can see there's, there's Mr. Waldo, right? And so what's interesting about this is sometimes in a, in, in, in a similar way, it's hard to find God amidst the struggle. And there's times in these Waldo books that I've sit there for, I mean, 10, 20 minutes with my sons. We're trying to find Waldo. We can't find him anywhere, but he's always right there for you to find. And I think in many ways, God's the same way that sometimes he might be hard to see in our struggles. Sometimes he might be hard to find in certain moments, but that doesn't mean he's not there. That doesn't mean he's not present. God is always present in our time of need. God is always present to provide a way out for us. And one of the ways that God provides a way out is this, this thing called wisdom. James speaks to it. Look what James says in verse five. He says this, if you need, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So James says, if you find yourself in a situation that you need God's wisdom, God will say yes to that prayer every single time. Just know that this is not a piece of advice from James. It's actually written as a command. He commands us, ask God for wisdom. Did you know there's only a few times in all of the Bible where God says, pray for this, and I will always answer with a yes. Wisdom is one of those things. If you ask God for wisdom, God will always answer that prayer with a yes. God will always give you wisdom. He's a generous God. He wants to provide wisdom in your life. Now, wisdom becomes key when it comes to this issue of temptation. We all face it. We all face vulnerabilities. We all face struggles. Many times, wisdom becomes the key that can provide a breakthrough in our life, in our journey. Uh, there's a book that I read that was a game changer for me a couple of years ago. It's a book called The the, the best question ever, written by a pastor named Andy Stanley. Fantastic book. It's a very practical book. It's a very insightful book. But Andy will say that the, the best question ever is this simple question. What is the wise thing to do? Because there's so many decisions that we face each and every day that we'll ask the question, what is right or what is wrong? Many times we have the the best ability to justify our own actions. And so we'll justify, we say, well, it's not wrong, or well, somebody else is doing it, and so we'll kind of follow that line of thinking. But Andy says, if we're willing to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do, it can provide a breakthrough in our journey. And he provides this filter that I've found to be one of the most helpful filters when it comes to wisdom as it applies to our lives that can lead to a breakthrough. Here's this filter, three pieces. Here's the first piece. He asks this question, in light of my past, and my past mistakes, what is the wise thing to do? When I look at my past, my history, there's probably some patterns that are unique to me that if I'm willing to get honest about it, will show some of my weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And so in light of my past, 
what's the wise thing to do? The truth is for all of us, our past is a collection of events and circumstances and maybe mishaps that again, is unique to us. And so because it's unique to us, wisdom must be applied in such a way that it is unique to us. And so because I know my past, I know my vulnerabilities, I know the challenges that I'm facing, there are decisions that I can make that are in the area of wisdom that set me up for greater success when I face them again. Many times these wisdom pieces, they're called boundaries, that I'll build a boundary around my life that I'm not even gonna put myself in a position to experience temptation. I'm not even gonna swim in that pond, because if I go swim in that pond, I know I'm gonna be in trouble. So in other words, in light of my past, I can't keep a can of Pillsbury cinnamon rolls in my refrigerator, because if I do, I will eat them every single time. You can probably keep them in your refrigerator and you would be fine, right? That's unique to me in light of my past, my history. The question is, what's the wise thing to do? So think about this real practically. So in light of my past, if I'm somebody that has struggled with overindulgence of alcohol, should I go to the party? If I'm somebody that struggled with viewing internet pornography, should I use a computer that doesn't have a filter? If I'm somebody that struggled with debt, should I even have a credit card? Now let me be crystal clear. I'm not saying that going to a party is wrong, it's not. I'm not saying using an unfiltered computer is wrong, because it's not. I'm not saying that owning a credit card is wrong, because it's not. I'm saying in light of my past, if that's a vulnerability for me, the question is, is it wise for me? It's not wrong, the question, is it wise? And if it's not wise, I can save myself a lot of heartache by choosing to build a boundary and not going to swim in a pond that I know I'm vulnerable, that I know that I can be taken down. And some people look at that and say, well, gosh, that's crazy, you're never going to a party, you're never using a computer, you're never using, that, that seems a little extreme. Maybe it is extreme or maybe it's wise. In light of my past, I gotta ask the honest question. In light of my past, what is the wise thing to do? Here's the second piece. In light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? The truth about me and you is we, we tend to ride in an emotional roller coaster. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I feel great, sometimes I don't. Uh, and I tend to ride a little bit of an emotional roller coaster of life. What I know is there are certain emotional patterns for me when I get in them, I'm not a good decision maker. I don't make my best decisions, for example, when I'm really tired. When I'm really tired, I should not go shopping. I won't make good decisions. When I'm really tired, I shouldn't get in to a conflict resolution with somebody. I, I'll say things, I'll do things that I'll regret when I'm tired. The same is true when I'm angry. I don't make good decisions when I'm angry. And so in light of my present circumstance, I might have to ask myself the question, what is the wise thing to do? For example, uh, there are many times that I wrote out an email because I was mad, I was angry that if I would have hit send on that email, I would have regretted it within 24 hours. And so what wisdom says is, in light of my current present circumstance, is this the wise thing to do, or do I need to sleep on it? Because when I get to a different emotional state, I may be thinking more clearly. Make some sense? 
So in light of my past mistakes, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my present circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? And the last filter is this. You see it coming. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? You know, the challenge for a lot of us who, who are adults is we get all the way to adulthood, and it's not that we didn't envision a dream. It's not that we didn't have a dream. It's just that we're not living the dream that we had envisioned. And many times we're not living the dream because somewhere along the way we sabotaged our own dream. That we made a decision that, that took us off course with the dream that we were pursuing. And so what wisdom says is, Take a picture, take a snapshot of what you want your life to be in five years and 10 years and know that the decisions that I make today impact who I become down the road. So for example, if I want to have a great relationship with my kids in 10 years, that starts right now. I can't be an absentee dad right now and have a great relationship with my kids in 10 years. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do right now? Uh, if, if you're somebody who wants to uh, put money away in a retirement account, if you wanna have savings for the future, then you gotta consider, is this particular big purchase the right purchase in light of that? Is there anything wrong with buying a new house? No. Is there anything wrong with buying a new car? No. Is there anything wrong with going on a nice vacation? No. The question is, is it wise in light of my future hopes and dreams? If it is, great, do it. But if it's not, don't take the bait. When it comes to wisdom, it's the greatest question that you'll ever ask. That in light of my past, in light of my present, in light of my future, what is the wise thing to do? Lean into God's wisdom and you will experience a breakthrough. Here's what I know about temptation. Sin does not have the ability to take root when it doesn't have a route into your life. Sin can't take root if you don't give it a route. And so we learn to seek God's wisdom. And so we know our enemy. We're very aware that there's somebody trying to fish for us. We're seeking God's wisdom. We're staying out of the pool that, that sometimes we can get fish for in. And lastly, we do this. We just simply learn to trust God's character. We, 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 we simply learn to trust God's character. What I love about James is though he's a little in our face and in our grill, he doesn't leave us high and dry. He breathes a lot of hope into us. Here's how he concludes the section. He says this. He says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a, it's a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. What James says is, you know, God doesn't tempt people, nor is he tempted himself, but here's what's true about God. Every good thing, every good gift, every good thing that happens in your life, that comes from God. Our God is a good God. Our God is a loving God. Our God will meet us in our mess, and God will bring good in your journey if he allows you to, if you allow him to bring good in your journey. Our God is a good God, and we can trust him in that, that even when we misstep, even when we fail, even when we take the bait, even when we're drug away, don't be mistaken, that hasn't compromised God's love for you. Every good thing still comes from God, and God still wants to bring good things in your life. 
And it says that God wants to bring this good, God wants to bring this good gift. And he says this, he says, this goodness will give birth to life. Remember, sin gave birth to death, God gives birth to life. Here's what's true about God. God gives a lot of great gifts. We talked about wisdom, that's a gift from God, but that's not God's greatest gift to you. Wisdom is a great gift, but not the greatest gift. The greatest gift that God's ever given you is himself. The greatest gift that God has ever given you is the opportunity to experience something new, something different. When God gives birth to life, what's he saying? He's saying, despite what your past has been, despite how many times we've taken the bait, despite how many times we've been reeled in, God has not given up on you. The new birth to new life is a second chance. It's a new hope. It's a clean slate. It's a new beginning. God has not given up on you, so don't give up on yourself. There may be someone fishing for you, but God's ready to cut the line. God's ready to give you a new hope, a new beginning, a second chance. And my friends, that should give you great hope. There's great hope for even the person who has compromised themselves in whatever business dealing, that whatever's been found out, that's not the end of the story. God wants to write a new story. There's hope for the prostitute who's just trying to figure out how to provide for her kids. God's ready to cut the line. My friend, there's hope. I don't know what you battle, I don't know what you struggle with, I don't know what draws you in, I don't know what allures you, but whatever it is, it does not have to be the predominant story in your journey. There is one who wants to steal and kill and destroy every good thing in our life, but there's another one who came so that we'd have life and we would have it to the full. And we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in him and in him alone. I don't know where you're at in your journey. Maybe some of us, we, we walked into this weekend or maybe we clicked on this message as we started watching online, or maybe you're joining us through a partnership with God behind bars, and the truth is, in this moment, you feel the deadness. You feel the disillusionment. And you might even know what the deadness is connected to. Can I tell you the greatest news in the world? Our God's really good at making dead things come to life. Our God is really good at a resurrection. He's really good at redemption. And maybe he brought you here this weekend for this purpose because he's ready to cut the line in your life. And if you've never fully surrendered your life to him, or maybe for some of us, we've surrendered our life to him before, but the truth is, the patterns of our decisions over the past few weeks, months, years, whatever it's been, we, we need a fresh start, we need a new beginning, we need God to cut the line. And I would invite all of us, whether it's for the very first time or maybe it's for the umpteenth time, that I wanna give you the opportunity to really surrender yourself ultimately to him. So if you would just simply bow your heads. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus or if you'd just like to re-surrender your life to him, I just wanna ask that you pray the words of this prayer after me. God, thank you for loving me. 
despite me. I do believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me overcome the temptation I face. In Christ's name. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if, if you made the surrender for the first time or if you made that surrender again, would you just simply acknowledge that commitment by raising your hand in the air, just making that, that commitment before God, that God, I'm yielding my life to you. Father, with hands going up here in this room, at all of our central locations, those watching online, those watching in our partnership with God behind bars, God, every single person reaching out to you in this moment, God, would you, would you make yourself known? Would you help people feel that they're not alone? That you can be found. There is strength in you. There is power in you. There is hope in you. God, we give our life to you. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.